This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network. Welcome to Perception Management with your host, Keith Rogers, here in beautiful western Montana. You're on Republic Broadcasting Network, as usual. The phone lines are open, but I hope to get a little bit of stuff here. i got a lot of reading to do here, and I'm going to tie two different subjects into one. Uh, the call-in number, of course, is 512-248-8252 or 1-800-313-9443. Today is Sunday, the 25th of July, 2021. This is show number 105, and tonight a little bit of drug history that I'm going to tie in later. The title for today's theme, or theme for today's show, is Commerce of Death for Profits. The object of this morning's show is to show another side of the cabal that keeps this country locked down with drugs and crime to facilitate and funding itself through their being able to control all areas of commerce, thanks Gator, uh, borders, customs, and banking. I lost a lens in my glasses, so I have to read issues uh, on, on my notes here, so I might get screwed up every once in a while, but uh, I can't afford new glasses, so you know how it goes. But anyway, uh, first of all, how drug use affects our society? Well, this is a medically, re- this article I'll be uh, reading from is medically reviewed by John C. Uh, Umha, who's an MD, MPH, CPA, or CPE, sorry almost had him in taxes there for a second. And he's got 20 years' experience on this. But uh, I want you to see the full scope of how drugs, albeit drugs, vaccines, whatever like that, how they work in the American society. The estimated cost of drug abuse in the United States, including illegal drugs, alcohol, and tobacco, is more than $740 billion a year and growing. 
This is an older article. Excuse me. According to the data reported by the National Institute of Drug Abuse, the NIDA, substance abuse in the U.S. costs society an increase in health care costs, crime, and lost productivity. Illegal drug abuse alone cost $193 billion. This includes an estimated $11 billion in direct health care costs associated with the use of illicit substances. Prescription opiates, $78.5 billion. Approximately $26 billion of the total amount is due to direct health care costs. And when you think of that prescription opiates, think of these big pharma outlets. They get fined a couple million or maybe a billion dollars. What's that out of what they're making their net profit on? As well as buying off the judges and courts and other stuff. Other cost to our society, the total cost for society and substance abuse goes well beyond the financial cost. These other costs include, as mentioned, crime, unemployment, domestic abuse, divorce, homelessness, deaths from overdose, and, of course, the effects on unborn children, the spread of HIV, AIDS, and, of course, hepatitis C. The impact on the workplace productivity. Well, drug abuse costs the nation more than $120 billion a year in lost productive productivity. That's people calling in sick and such. Uh, and that's according to their own figures at the NDIC. Including that of lost producti- productivity are the reduced labor participation the incarceration, the premature mortality, the hospitalizations, addiction centers, and of course uh, the participation in treatment programs uh, while they're away from work. Plus, if the alleged user is of these said drugs is a provider of his or her or its family, the strain on government programs like welfare comes into play. According to the NDIC, the estimates of drug abuse accounts for $49 billion in reduced workdays, $48 billion in incarceration expenses, all is farmed out to these private prisons, and $4 billion due to premature deaths. But don't worry, the average funeral cost $8,000. The NDIC also estimates that the annual cost of drug-related crime in the United States is more than $61 billion, with the criminal justice system cost making up $56 billion of that cost. That would be associated court fees and other stuff. I didn't get into what it costs for law enforcement to uh, to run this stuff, but I'm sure it's well, well, well high, you know. Crack cocaine and methamphetamines are the drugs that most often contribute to the uh, commission of the crimes in the U.S., according to the National Drugs uh, Threat Survey. Heroin use is a significant factor in the commission of property crimes. From 63% to 83% of all arrestees test positive for some illicit substance at the time of their arrest, according to the Arrestee Drug Abuse Monitoring Program, which is called ADAM-2, which monitors arrestees in 10 cities across the U.S. That's only 10 cities, probably the largest ones. I have a chart here that you can't see, but it talks about, basically, for a user, the daily first-time users in America spend about $2,500 for a year. As they move on to a yearly thing, it gets up towards the males, $700,000, females, $500,000. 
And over a lifetime, that's 36.8 million. These are their figures, by the way. And that means that when you think of a druggie stealing a battery or something like that to pawn or whatever like that, or pawning their furniture or whatever, you know, or someone else's furniture, a stolen lawnmower, whatever like that, you know, this is what adds to the cost of crime in this country. And, of course, most is about $100 a day for a, a, a habit. That comes out to 36000 uh, a year, which is uh, two times what I make on Social Security. A kilogram of street cocaine is worth about 115k, up to 50k. Depends where you get it cut. And uh, I mean, the 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 cost of this is what I'm trying to show. Imagine how much money is in drugs. And of course, where am I going with all this? Well. We can start back with Operation Paper. The United States and its drugs in Thailand and Burma. The topic of this is a major one for the post-war history of China, Southeast Asia, and global drug traffic with needed U.S. support, above all in the forms of airlift and arms. Uh, certain characters like Li Mi's irregular were soon marketing in the world of their U.S. overseas Overseer, sorry, uh, Richard Stilwell, unrelated to General Stilwell, who was a chief, uh, chief of the OPC Far East. Almost a third of the world's opium supply uh, came from the uh, Asia or Indo-Asia area, you know, Indonesian area, which would be China and all this other stuff. That's why when you hear about fentanyl and stuff coming in here, well, we got more about that coming up. So anyway. But none of this, of course, could be done without the help of the wonderful CIA. One of America's early proxy armies, the remnants of this National Chinese, which is his KMT forces in Burma and later in Thailand, would continue to receive U.S. support into the 1960s, like the mafias in Europe and the Yukaza in Japan. These drug proxies had the advantage for secrecy of being off-the-books assets, largely self-supporting through their drug dealing and firmly anti-communist. However, countries that produce opium, China, Thailand, Pakistan, India, Colombia, Laos, Turkey, Mexico, Burma, and Afghanistan, and that list was from the 10th to the number one. Well, the U.S. just pulled out of Afghanistan, and naturally you can see they'll be looking for new products. Oddly, though, since China's moving into Africa, uh, sorry, in Afghanistan, you'll probably see the opium pick up from China because there is such a great market for this. The OPC and the CIA's initial support of this program by reestablishing a major drug trafficking out of Southeast Asia helped institutionalize what became a CIA habit of turning to drug-supported off-the-books assets for fighting wars wherever there appeared to be a threat to America's access to oil and other resources. How dainty. In Indochina from the 1950s to the 1970s, in Afghanistan and Central America in the 1980s, in Colombia in the 1990s, and again in Afghanistan in the early 2000s. Uh, what's important to hear about Colombia is to remember that NATO is down there in Colombia and they help facilitate this drug cartel. And you can watch all those videos uh, on those dangerous roads like in Bolivia. And if the DEA was really trying to crack down on drugs and stuff, they would be out there 
catching these people, uh, picking their coca leaves and chewing their coca leaves as they picked. But, of course, the drug trade has to go on, and that's how they sedate a nation, how they sedate a world, how they keep commerce going. Again, these use of these drug proxies who are at odds with Washington's officials and these anti-drug policies had to remain secret. And of course, this meant that the practice of major programs with the long-term consequences were initiated and administered by small cliques within the U.S. intelligence uh, who had ties to not only that, to Washington, but also the banking elite. That's who does the laundering. And still less visible to the American people, those little cliques of the like-minded individuals at ease are working with these traffickers and other criminals who were in turn part of the cabal supported by the elite groups at high levels. Oliver North called them the Enterprise. The DEA budget was $2.398 million for the fiscal year 2021. It's a change up now to $410.7 million. So the war on drugs is increasing which is 15.2% or 125 new added position plus 32 agents. The U.S. is getting desperate to keep their little drug cartels going. And perhaps you're old enough to remember when law enforcement used to burn the piles of drugs they confiscated. Today they are checked out of evidence rooms and used by the FBI and DEA informants to keep drugs on the streets to create more commerce, more poverty, more homelessness, more crime. And, of course, the U.S. policy of seeking political resolution of international conflicts with the United Nations is also pitted against the regular U.S. diplomats at the State Department against those cold warriors of the secret agency, OPC, that has these drug assets at its disposal. This was not the only time that a small U.S. bureaucratic cabal facing internal opposition but enjoying high-level backing could launch any operation that became far larger than originally authorized. The pattern was repeated with remarkable similarities in Afghanistan in 1979, and this is why they were so interested in, it wasn't just about thwarting Russia or the Soviets in Afghanistan, it was the need to get to that opium. Excuse me, cartel wars. And I'm sure you remember when the DEA cut deals with the Mexican drug cartels. It was the Sonola drug cartel that allowed drugs into this country. So the U.S. government, excluding what the CIA does, has been working or having working relationship with these cartels. This morphs into Fast and Furious, the, uh, oh, what do they call that program, the Century Members program. You can, uh, with your browser, type in Century Member Arrested and see the millions of dollars in cocaine, methamphetamines, and such that comes into this country. And usually you'll find out that those arrests are from rival drug cartels that the United States has no business with. As After all, they're cut deals with certain cartels. Reminds me of George Bush uh, Sr. there. Zapata, which is one of the biggest drug cartelers uh, down in the Mexico area. His oil rig, or Zapata oil, was all about the same. Remember, Bush was CIA. I could read an article from the uh, list of banks who have laundered hundreds of billions of dollars in cartel drug monies and the small fines, as it were, 
of a few million dollars when you realize you're talking about $800 billion of laundering from one bank alone. And, of course, the origins of the CIA drug connection in Thailand. You have to realize what has gone on behind your backs. And a lot of these were sold to U.S. soldiers during Vietnam War and such. Keep them high, just like them ISIS members who were fed drugs from France and stuff to keep them in this wacko mode to chop heads off and stuff. Of course, to understand the CIA's involvement in Southeast Asia, the drug cartel, after the World War II, one must go back to the 19th century with the opium policies of the British Empire. The Siamese government's efforts to prohibit the smoking of opium ended in 1852 when this King Moncook, uh, bowing to the British pressure, established a royal opium franchise, which then was framed out to the Siamese Chinese. Three years later, under the terms of uh, unequal uh, Bowering Treaty, Siam accepted British opium free duty, free of duty. See, the governments are in on this, with the provision that it was to be sold only to the royal franchise. A year later, in 1856, a similar agreement was negotiated with the United States. The opium farm became a source of wealth and power to the royal government and also to the Chinese secret societies or triads that operated it. It's like when you hear about John Kerry. He's a John Forbes Carey. Remember, his family made money off the opium trade. It's funny to hear him talk there during the Iran-Contra scandal about the drugs the CIA was doing when his family themselves were so much into it and helped build early America. Opium dependency also had the effect of easing Siam into the Western ways of capitalism by bringing peasants to cash economy as in modern consumers. Pop up there. Uh, and of course, this was uh, uh, until it finally abolished it in 1959. Proceeds from the opium franchise, as in other parts of Southeast Asia, provided up to 20% of the Siamese government's revenue. This is one reason why the opium franchise ceased to be farmed out to Chinese businessmen in 1907. It became, as again in other parts of Southeast Asia, a government monopoly. This is why you have wars. Remember, they fund all these wars, the drug trade, all this stuff. And, of course, they send your boys, your grandsons and stuff off to fight these wars to control these fields. Another was a desire to reduce the influence of the Chinese secret societies, as mentioned earlier, and encourage the Chinese assimilation into this Siam. As a result, the power of the secret societies did generally decline in the 20th century, except for the revival under the Japanese occupation during World War II. By this time, the KMT operating undercover was the most powerful force in the Bangkok Chinese community, with overlapping links to the Thai. Lee's KMT intelligence net network also was in the drug trafficking. And although the official source of opium for the Siamese franchise was India, the relatively high cost of Indian opium encouraged more and more smuggling of opium from the Shan states of eastern Burma. With the gradual outline of opium traffic in the early 20th century, the British banned the use of the Shan opium inside Burma, but continued to tax the Shan states as before. We'll be right back after this. 
Stay tuned. All I want is what I have with you. What I just can't find with someone. Folks, we're living in a world the likes of which we've never perceived any clearer than we do now. The plan for global governance has been in the works for generations and would have likely been achieved by now, but for the fact that the globalists left open their Achilles heel. With all their tools, Federal Reserve System, fiat currency, no child left behind, and then common core education introduced to our schools to dumb us down, vaccines, pharmaceuticals to lobotomize us, GMO foods, insertion of compromised or bought and paid for politicians, judges, mainstream media propaganda, all pieced together like a puzzle designed to ultimately bring the world under submission. But with all their strategy, they forgot one thing, knowledge and knowledge is power. With knowledge, their bombardment is nullified. Folks, with that, as brilliant and knowledgeable as you've become, among the wisest audience of any radio audience in the world, and you are, I want you to take a moment to reflect and ask yourself, how much of that knowledge did I obtain from Republic Broadcasting Network? How high has my consciousness been raised since I've been a listener? How fast am I now able to discriminate truth from fake news by being a Republic Broadcasting listener? How clear am I now able to see the world since I've been listening to RBN? Ask yourselves those questions, folks. Then ask yourself, what is that knowledge worth to me? Like my morning coffee, how would I survive without it? A voice of truth and a sea of lies. Do we not all need to make sure it survives? Like public broadcasting, we are now finding we can only survive with listener support. Censorship, advertisers being attacked, truth itself being attacked. It's the only way through this. We at Republic Broadcasting humbly ask you to become a supporter. Look at your budget and make a determination of what Republic Broadcasting is worth to you and what you can afford on a monthly basis. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and pledge 20, 30, 40, 50, if possible, 100 a month or more if it's affordable. Click the Donate button and become a regular monthly donor. Assure both us and yourself that Republic Broadcasting Truth will continue to flow like that morning coffee. The network thanks you. Here at Republic Broadcasting Network, we have been building our online store. Well, we have been focusing on bringing you the best talk show host in the country. Here at Republic Broadcasting Network, we also want our listeners to have products they can use every day and in times of emergency. We have added new products each week to our store. Your support of this network, plus products at the best prices, is a win-win situation. Check out our new store. Go to our website, republicbroadcasting.org, and click on the online store located at the top of our website. Together, we can continue to grow RBN and help our listeners prepare for the future. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on our online store or call us. 800-724-2719, extension 3. 800-724-2719, extension 3. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over, everybody knows the good guys lost, everybody knows the fight was fixed, the poor stay poor, the rich get rich, that's how it goes, 
Everybody knows. Welcome back, everyone. Everybody knows. You're listening to Keith Rogers here on Perception Management and continuing. In this way, the British tactically encouraged the export of the Sean opium to the Thai market. You know, there's an article over there in the New York Times where it talks about the United States spending $2 trillion in Afghanistan. And what did they get? Well, they, they fraudulently uh, put a few numbers in here, but uh, uh, they did say 2,400 American soldiers lost their lives. And they said, and more than 38,000 Afghan civilians have died. Of course, it's 100,000. And remember, the U.S. was blocking any looking into the war crimes committed, like U.S. soldiers cutting off the fingers of dead Afghan civilians for trophies. And we had the striker team where they were killing kids just for fun. But anyway, uh, they had to keep the opium supply going. Uh, by the way, if you want to read that article, it's called What Did the U.S. Get for $2 trillion in Afghanistan? Anyway, although the, uh, the source of this opium, as mentioned, uh, was this Siamese franchise was India, the relatively high cost of Indian opium encouraged more and more smuggling of opium from the Shan states of eastern Burma. And right now, if you watch the video called The Road to Burma uh, on YouTube, it's got a picture of a road going up a mountainside. This is the old General Stilwell thing. But uh, you'll see that now they're cutting down forests of those beautiful old-growth trees, and they're replacing them with opium fields. With the, and, of course, remember, Burma, Malaysia, is all part of what China had once. Well, they bailed out uh, Burma, the Malaysian government, or sorry, Myanmar, uh, government with uh, over a billion dollars and they helped build up this massive road system and like that and it became a playground for the Chinese billionaires and stuff to go there even though everything there that the Chinese were doing was basically outlawed so the United States instead of just paying off that debt of the uh, Myanmar uh, we have Israel sending in their massive arms over there to Myanmar and of course they're uh, ramping up war against China. Of course, it all goes around drugs, as well as their pivot to Asia. And anyway, with the gradual outline of the opium traffic in early 20th century, the British banned the use of this opium inside Burma, but continued to tax the states, as mentioned. And so now we have the United States, which helps rebuild the post-war drug connection. And to appreciate the significance of the connection that I'm talking about, we must keep in mind that by 1956, the KMT had been driven out of the Chinese mainland, that the Chinese production of opium, even in remote mountainous uh, Yunnan, had been virtually eliminated. Uh, the disruptions of a world war and revolution had created an opportunity to terminate the opium problem in the Far East, Instead, the U.S. covert support for the Thai and the KMT drug traffickers con uh, that they uh, had converted this whole Southeast Asia for more than two decades into the world's major source of opium and heroin. And this is where it comes into the theme of, or the show title here. The origins of the U.S. interface with these drug traffickers in Thailand and Burma are obscure. However, they do appear to have involved per uh, principally four men. William Donovan, his British ally Sir William Stephenson, uh, the organizer with Donovan of the World Commerce Corporation, Paul Hellowell, and Willis Byrd, both veterans of the OSS uh, who were stationed in China. 
After World War II, Sir William Stephenson's WCC became the uh, active in Bangkok, and Stephenson himself established a strong personal relationship with his King Rama. I believe that's the ninth. I'm not too good on my Roman characters anymore. But anyway, in the same post-war period, there's Paul Hillowell, who was earlier had been an OSS chief to the Special Intelligence uh had served in the Far East Division as Chief of Strategic Services Unit, the successor organization to the OSS. In his capacity, he allegedly became the man who controlled the pipeline of covert funds for the secret operations throughout Asia, East Asia. And after the war, eventually, Hilowell would be responsible for the incorporation of America of the CIA proprietaries. This was Sea Supply, Inc., Civil Air Transport, and, of course, later Air America, which would provide support for both the Theo uh, uh, Sinanon and the Northern Army in Thailand, Thailand and the KMT drug camps in Burma. There's three, or three issues here. The deep pockets of the underworld or overworld figures in the WCC, citing Daniel Harkins, a former U.S. investigator, John Loftus, and Mark Ahrens, claim that the Nazi money, also laundered and manipulated by Alan Dulles and Sir William Stephenson through the WCC, reached Thailand after the war. When Hawkins informed Congress, he was suddenly fired and sent back to, from Thailand to the United States on the next ship. For the break here, so stay tuned. We've got some more information coming up on this drugs and commerce here, so stay tuned. Everybody knows the war is over, everybody knows the good guys lost, everybody knows the fight was fixed. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Hey gang. Patrick Slattery here with an important message that is pertinent to anyone who shops for groceries, eats food, or just has an inquisitive mind like myself. What I'm about to introduce you to is a segment of our food culture that has been kept so low profile to the American public that virtually no one is aware of how dominant it is on our refrigerator and cupboard shelves. What I'm talking about is the kosher certification industry and a new app, Koshertify, that delivers a comprehensive education on all aspects regarding this little-known practice. After reviewing this app, I found that it is useful for practically anyone who purchases food, regardless of their religious faith or identity. Its database of products not kosher certified is a win-win convenience for all food-conscious people. So why not check out thekosherquestion.com or click on the link at nationalbugle.com and see how modifying your grocery shopping with the Koshertified app can make a huge difference for your future. For over 20 years now, Extendivite has proven time and again, it really works. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. I received an arterial switch at birth. In my mid-20s, I started getting slight runs of NSVT. Nothing too serious, but enough to cause worry. I started taking Extendivite a little over two years ago, and it helped cut the palpitations and NSVT down drastically. This isn't a cure-all supplement. I strongly recommend a good diet and exercise to aid in any heart troubles you may be having, and I strongly recommend giving Extendivite a try. 
Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from simplycleanfoods.net, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Right now, Amazon Prime members will receive fast two-day shipping. Go to simplycleanfoods.net. That's simplycleanfoods.net. But do it today. Well, I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head. Didn't hurt. Beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad So I had one more for dessert Then I fumbled through my closet for my clothes And found my cleanest dirty shirt And I shaved my face and combed my hair and Stumbled down the stairs to meet the day I'd smoked my brain the night before On cigarettes and songs that I'd been picking Welcome back, everyone. But I lit my first and You're listening to Perception Management here from beautiful western Montana. The birds are still flying around. Really dry here, too, by the way. Anyway, uh, get back into the, the drug cartels, the deep state. This is how they finance everything. Anyway, the I mentioned three here. Uh, the deep pockets of the overworld figures in this WCC. Uh, I mentioned uh, this whole thing uh, where this guy was fired and then uh, sent back from Thailand to the United States on the next ship. What's interesting to research, though, is the naval navigation of certain ships that belong to these members that are within this banking cartel uh, and where they were traveling all over the world and you can tell what they were doing allegedly they were picking up oil supplies for the war ventures and stuff like that but uh, you can tell exactly uh, which ports they were being uh, uh, put into where they were being transported to and being diverted from one port to another or arriving and then being told to hurry up and pull up anchor and go to another area. Really, really interesting uh, 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 information on there. But anyway, uh, the second one here is they looted gold and other resources collected by Admiral, Admiral Yamashita and others in Japan of the SS in Germany. 
So not only was Germany stealing the gold, but also so was the Japanese. The drug trade itself further, research is needed, of course, uh, is to establish when the financial world of this Paul Halliwell began to overlap with that of this Mayor Lansky, that's M-A-Y-E-R, Mayor Lansky, uh, and the underworld, many of which are outward signs of this connection to Miami National Bank of uh, Perrin. And, of course, uh, they were not established until a decade or more later. Of course, this is through a lot of CIA uh, revelations there. Revelations, sorry. Uh, still to be established, uh, of course, is whether this Eastern Development Company represented by this Hellowell was the firm of this name in the 1940s who cooperated with Lansky and others in the supply of arms to the uh, nascent or recent uh, uh, existence of the state of Israel. Makes you wonder, don't it? Anyway, this gets interesting here because Paul Hillowell died there on the 24th of December 1976, but he was an American lawyer, banker, OSS official, and a CIA uh, officer. Uh, where we had, had a tweet come in. Uh, while serving in this capacity, he became the director of the Sea Supply and the president of, of course, that's the CIA uh, Airlines, and president of Castle Bank and Trust. That's where your banking comes in. Hellowell also was an instrument in setting up the Civil Air Transport, as mentioned earlier, and the Castle Bank and Trust, both of which were CIA proprietary companies. According to the Wall Street Journal, he was deeply involved with financing a covert actions against Cuba from 1964 to 1975, and Hellowell was reportedly to play a key role in the purchase of the site of Disney World. You can stand pop up on there. Anyway. Uh, now another shady character enters the scene here. Just after his death, two banks, this mercantile bank, uh, Freeport, and another mercantile bank of the Cayman Islands, which were both closely associated with Castle Bank and Trust, along with Castle Bank and Trust, both in the Bahamas and Cayman Islands, collapsed. So, goes to show you how much... Uh, influence he had there. And don't forget that Donald Trump, of course, at the time was laundering money through his hotels down through Panama. Uh, the two mercantile banks were subsidiaries of this George Olmsted's International Bank, IB of Washington, D.C. Now, there's a, a thing here where they think that a lot of this was being set up to subvert the U.S. dollar or its banking system. And we'll get into that. This George Olmsted, if you ever want to do some research on a shady character, there's your man. Uh, given a lot of awards for all the stuff he's done, everything like that, but uh, he's really shady, I'll tell you. The last, the last great problem to face Olmsted in China was what to do with the surplus equipment that had been left behind. Sounds like Afghanistan, doesn't it? In that theater, uh, this would be uh, the Korean War, uh, as American forces departed to come home. Not wishing to see all that stuff abandoned in place, Olmsted managed to work out a bulk sale to the Chinese government, which, uh, when he heard about it, President Truman was reported to have said, this was the best liquidation of surplus U.S. equipment anywhere in the world. Now in Afghanistan, they just give it to them. Uh, is will there be something nefarious coming up here in the near future? Because if you look right now at all these countries right now, they are really arming to the gills. 
and I think this is going to be their third world war, but that's my personal opinion. In addition to Hallowell's uh, supposedly being one of the paymasters for the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba in 1961, Castle had been one of the CIA's financing channels for the operation in Latin America and against Cuba, uh, again between 1964 and 75, which included CIA operatives located at Andros Island and the Bahamas. His financial general was a domestic bank holding company which held controlling interest in 26 banks located in seven states of District of Columbia, and it was one of the few banks in the country that had been grandfathered into due business across state lines after McFadden, uh, sorry, after the McFadden Act, largely banned interstate banking. In 1966, following years of criticism from other banks of the Federal Reserve ruled that the Financial General was a bank holding company and as such could not be owned by an international bank which despite its name was largely an insurance company. Olmsted was ordered to sell off Financial General by 1978. It eventually became or went on to become a group of the Arab investors who were actually nominees for the Bank of Credit of Commerce International and this group changed over to the FGB's name to the First American Bank Shares which would remain a secret subsidiary of the BCCI until the let the latter shut down in 1991 this is where you come into that the CIA and the BCCI scandal which was an extensive look about how the agency penetrated the outlaw bank to spy on drug lords and terrorists of course anyone's a terrorist uh, as banks go bust the mushroom mushrooming scandal over the bank of credit and commerce international may be a great granddaddy of them all the collapse of the BCCI and what is said to be a multinational fraud of historic dimensions allegedly involved bribery, corruption, money laundering, gun running, drug, drug smuggling, terrorism, and upwards of $5 billion in lost or stolen assets in more than 70 different countries. And it has now set off a search for scapegoats in Washington, where it was widely believed that the U.S. government was slow to pick up on the scent. Jack Blum a former U.S. Senate investigator who has also played a key role in bringing BCCI, BCCI mess to the American public's eye, had summed up Washington's role in this overall distaste for the BCCI case in graphic terms. The scandal, Blum said, was obvious to many government officials, but never mentioned something like the cesspool overflowing on the front lawn. And, of course, the CIA was in the middle of it all from a variety of sources from both inside and outside the agency. Even Newsweek had established a pattern of CIA involvement with the BCCI that is more extensive and more troubling to some than the bland official statements that have ever been issued so far. Although agency officials insist that the CIA's relationship with the bank was entirely proper and legal. What they did is they put their own agents inside the bank and everything like that. They knew of everything going on. Of course, that's before now where everything is digitally traced, they had to hand sift through every single transaction. Uh, and anyway, here they, uh, the BCCI was aggressively targeted as a gold mine of intelligence on a wide variety of illicit activities, according to the CIA Deputy Director Robert Richard Kerr, and that, according to Newsweek sources, almost certainly means that the CIA's uh, uh, directorate of this uh, operations had its own informants working in the bank 
The CIA kept funds at various BCCI branch locations and allegedly used BCCI's home office in Pakistan as a conduit for some of the $2 billion in secret U.S. aid to the Mujahideen rebels fighting the Soviet forces in Afghanistan. A large chunk of that covert funding, Blum testified, was allegedly stolen by corrupt Pakistani officials using the BCCI accounts. And again, that article, if you want to read that's in uh, Newsweek. Of course, this would develop into arms for the Contras, and the drugs acquired would fuel the arms for the enterprise under Oliver North. Um, but what matters is that uh, for some time before the the first known official U.S. authorizations in 1949 to 1950, funds were reaching as Hallowell's former OSS China ally, Willis Bird, in Bangkok. What gets me is, as you read this, a lot of these guys are all U.S. military uh, or OSS or CIA later. Uh, there, Bird ran a trading company supplying arms and material to this Fen Chan Chuan and this Fien's son-in-law. Uh, Theo Sirion, what I mentioned earlier, who in 1950 became the director general of the Thai police uh, uh, department. By 1951, o the OPC funds for Bird were being handled by the CIA proprietary firm C Supply, which had been incorporated by Paul Halliwell uh, in his civilian capacity as a lawyer in Miami. As noted earlier, Hallowell also became the general counsel for the Miami bank that this Mayor Lancey allegedly used to launder these proceeds for the Asian drug traffic. Now, I'm going to run through a couple of names here. Uh, Castro Weinberger, Robert C. McFarlane, Elliot Abrams, Alan Fares, uh, Claire George, Oliver North, Duane uh, Claridge, Richard uh, Secord, uh, Albert uh, Hakim. Thomas G. Uh, Kleins, and of course, uh, uh, a lot of this was all done under then CIA Director George Bush Sr., who would later become the President of the United States, and who would issue pardons to Elliot Abrams, uh, Claire Ridge, Friars, and uh, Claire George, and Robert McFarlane. Don't tell me crime don't pay. What's of interest here, though, is these guys like the Enterprise listening to Oliver North talking about well, they were in it for the money. Do you realize what they did to the American cities with their drug addiction and stuff by bringing their drugs into this country? The deaths they caused, the poverty, all this stuff. And they don't care as long as they make money. Same with arms deals. They don't care who they're killing or anything like that. So now, compare that with all the current news with vaccines and the amount of commerce being generated, and also the players behind this. Tell me anything that changes, as well as the total disregard, as mentioned, for the human lives, the sufferings, the deaths, and, of course, the amount of poverty, as mentioned, and also they can control all through their venues like the World Economic Forum, the International Bank of Settlements, uh, the IMF, and who most likely made all their millions, like Klaus Schwab and those, uh, being these stakeholders, in the crime spree that they no doubt instituted long ago, as they have been around for decades. Klaus Schwab is directly related to the uh, Rothschilds. Anyway, 
So where are we at time-wise? Oh, I can't play that one yet. Uh, so I, uh, I, I have some clips coming up here. I'll tell you what, I could play this one if uh, Sam will skip this next break here. Uh, Sam, would you be willing, Mr. Producer, there to play clip one? Childhood uh, schedule contain monkey kidney cells. Uh, well, the polio vaccine uh, does. Are you aware of any simian, monkey, viruses, meaning viruses that come from primates, that contaminated polio vaccines and infected individuals receiving the polio vaccine? Yes, SV40. Okay. And what does SV40 stand for? Simian virus 40. Okay. And what, was it the 40th simian virus found? Is that yes. why it's called... Are you aware of any virus from any animal other than simian or bovine that is in any vaccine? Yes, uh, there's a, a pig virus uh, present in uh, one of the rotavirus vaccines, uh, circovirus. Do any of the vaccines in the childhood vaccine schedule contain blood serum from calves or other bovines? Uh, calf serum is removed before uh, the vaccine is used because you don't want to uh, sen uh, um, sensitize the vaccinee to, uh, to cows. What is this? Uh, vaccine excipient and media summary. Can you go to Kinrick's on the first page? Yes. DTAP IPV. Do you see in the third line down, it says calf serum? Do any vaccines on the childhood schedule contain embryonic guinea pig cell cultures? Varicella uh, vaccine was passaged in guinea pig cells. Do you know if any vaccines contain cow's milk in it? Derived from oh, cow's well, milk? Oh, well, it could be. Uh, casein, for example, could be. If there was casein in the vaccine, a child could become sensitized to that, correct? Well, I'm not sure about that. You're not sure um, anymore about that? Do any vaccines contain egg protein? Oh, yes, influenza. Do any vaccines contain gelatin from pigs? Uh, yes. Do any vaccines in the childhood vaccine schedule contain human albumin? Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is human albumin? Human albumin is part of human serum. It's part of the blood that is liquid. None of it remains in the final product? I don't believe so, no. Because yeah, that could be problematic, right? Well, it could be. I mean, if, uh, if the uh, individual is not, not healthy. Or if maybe some of the human blood components bind to some of the aluminum and develop antibodies, self-antibodies, correct? If they develop antibodies against a serum component, that would not be good. Do any vaccines on the childhood vaccine schedule contain MRC5 human diploid cells? Yes. Rubella, uh, varicella, hepatitis A. What are MRC5 cells? They are human fibroblast uh, cell strain. They were created by uh, taking uh, fetal tissue and um, uh, from a particular uh, fetus that was uh, aborted uh, by maternal choice uh, and the cells, uh, the so-called fibroblast cells, were cultivated. Do any vaccines on the childhood vaccine schedule contain WI-38 human diploid lung fibroblasts? Well, they used to, but I don't think anything is made in those cells anymore. If you could turn to page 3 for MMR and MMRV. 
Do you see that within the ingredient list that lists WI38, human diploid lung fibroblasts? Uh, yes, I do see that. Uh, isn't it true that human DNA in vaccines is typically purposely fragmented? Yes, and I would say mostly um, for theoretical reasons, doesn't want to uh, put uh, DNA uh, into uh, intact DNA uh, into vaccines. Familiar with insertional mutagenesis? Yes. Do you have any study to show that injecting millions of pieces of human DNA into babies and children is safe? The only studies are all the safety studies that have been done on vaccines. Okay. Wasn't the purpose of this study to help develop a human cell line or to support the use of human cell lines in the creation of vaccines? The idea was to study the uh, cell strains from fetuses to determine whether or not they could be used to make vaccines. This study involved 74 fetuses. Yeah, 76. 76. Mm -hmm. And uh, these fetuses uh, were all three months or older when aborted, correct? Yes. What organs did you harvest from these fetuses? Well, I didn't personally harvest any, but uh, a, a whole range of uh, tissues were harvested um, by uh, co-workers. Okay. And these pieces were then cut up into little pieces, right? Yes. And they were cultured? Yes. Okay. Um, some of the pieces of the fetuses were pituitary gland, that were, that were chopped up into pieces to, mm -hmm. okay, included the lung of the fetuses? Yes. Okay, included the skin? Yes. Kidney? Yes. Spleen? Yes. Heart? Yes. And, and tongue? <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't recall, but yeah, probably yes. Are you aware that the one of the uh, objections to vaccination by the plaintiff in this case is the inclusion of aborted fetal tissue in the development of vaccines and the fact that it's actually part of the ingredients of vaccines? Yeah, I'm aware of those objections. The okay. uh, Catholic Church has actually issued a document on that which says that individuals who need the vaccine should receive the vaccines regardless of the fact and that, uh, that uh, I think it implies that I am the individual who will go to hell because of the use of aborted tissues, which you, I am glad do you know if, to do. Okay. Do you know if the mother is Catholic? I have no idea. Okay. Um, so, so she should consult her priest. Do you believe that someone can have a valid religious objection to refusing a vaccine? No. Do you take issue with religious beliefs? Yes. Okay. Uh, you've said that, quote, vaccination is always under attack by religious zealots who believe that the will of God includes death and disease? Yes. You stand by that statement? I absolutely do. Okay. Are you an atheist? Yes. Okay. Do you accept that some people hold religious beliefs that are inherently unprovable? Uh, yes, I'm sure they do. When you were a child, what vaccines did you receive? <laughs> uh, diphtheria, Oh, well, uh, uh, in childhood, I, I think it was probably only diphtheria. All right. What gets me is an atheist who refers to hell 
<clears throat> but these are the same ones who like to play God. That was Stanley Polk Plotkin, sorry, St Stanley Plotkin, M.D. And uh, maybe uh, you uh, remember this one here, uh, clip number two there, Mr. Producer. Scientists are scrambling to create a working vaccine for the coronavirus. If they succeed in doing that, it will be one of the fastest rollouts of a vaccine in human history. Now, in this country of 330 million people, some will not want to take it. Some will have religious objections. Some will be nervous about the effects of it. So what happens then? Well, retired law professor Alan Dershowitz, a famous civil libertarian, says these objections won't matter. If the government wants to, the government has the right to seize you and inject the vaccine by force. Let me put it very clearly. You have no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread a disease, even if you disagree, you have no right not to be vaccinated. You have no right not to wear a mask. You have no right to open up your business. So, that was another member of the tribe, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, you know, that's the same one whose tribe now is pissed off that Ben and Jerry's ice cream is pulling out of the West Bank in a boycott, also pushing their LGBT agenda cancel culture, immigration policies, defund the police, BLM, Antifa, and of course the same ones behind Pfizer and Moderna. Yes, it's bad enough that they want to play within our, our own child's genes. Now they want to edit ours. There was a sexual joke in there. Uh, anyway, and all those quizlings in D.C. are fully behind this too. Daily we see more and more that are flipping, I guess you can call it, um, there's also a reason uh, that they don't want you uh, to learn history because history is, be, you know, is being destroyed. And not so long ago, those like them appeared before Nuremberg to make sure that the Nazis would never do that again. And that's why they established the Nuremberg Code so that people could make a choice. And that's why when you go to a doctor, you sign a release form, which symbolizes that you understand any and all treatments, you accept the risk and or benefits and basically that you can't sue them where does that sound familiar anyway the uh, the problem that uh, we have now is that now well, I've got other videos here that I'll uh, be playing here after the break here after the top of the hour here but it'll go into more of this like that but we'll find out the actual death toll that's starting to creep up now and this to me is like a government that's holding you down to rape you and they're claiming the victim because we're all in this together that if you don't submit they're going to have to shut the entire economy down and this is going to invoke a lot of anger from all those like liberals and stuff who want to party get drunk do their drugs and you're going to circumvent their lifestyle so they're, they're going to be pissed off if you don't follow along and this is as I mentioned on the prior show where we have the Stasi program and Joe Biden's cute little uh, snitch program so top of the break uh, coming up here for the hour here we'll be right back <clears throat> so stay tuned that the days are loaded everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. 
poor stay poor, the rich get rich, that's how it goes, everybody knows, everybody knows that the boat is leaking, everybody knows the captain lies. 